So I'm back living with my parents, Dom. <laughs> Which is um, probably a dream come true for them, right? Yeah, it's pretty good for me too. So like, I'll explain it to you like you haven't heard the story, but you know. So my mum and dad came to visit. They, were, they come over once every once every year, if not every two years, since I've had kids anyway. And uh, this time they came over and we were all kind of thinking, yeah, look at that. Look at that. Isn't that? A bit of an interesting news story coming out of China. Like it's not going to affect over here. And then when they were getting over, when they got here, there was the people were starting to wear masks on the airlines. And I think one of the two first cases were starting to be seen overseas in Italy and in America. And then, well, fast forward four or five weeks, and we're now where we are. And they they missed out getting on one of the one of the last flights back to Ireland from here. So I'm back living with my, my folks and it's, it's been really good. So it's actually, it's a bit of a weird one. They get to just hang out all day and they're spending time with their grandkids and I'm kind of still doing a little bit of work. My work completely hasn't completely gone away, but, uh, I've got like living, living grandparents is great. It's, Mm -hmm. it's weird. Yeah. Yeah. Now what's happened for the first time is, for when my kids are 10 and so for 10 years my mum and dad have been catching up with their grandkids via skype and and whatsapp and uh, they are here getting hanging out with their grandkids every day where all of my mum's <laughs> friends and my dad's friends are all catching up with their grandkids via skype and and whatsapp it's a complete role reversal right isn't that funny in yeah. a, a not funny way but you know what i mean that is peculiar you can use that word yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, how's how's it for you? Because I haven't yeah, seen good. you. Look, I, I haven't seen I, you for. I, I mentioned this a week. And in Dom and Darren, what's that in Dom and Darren years? That's like <laughs> three years, two months. <laughs> <laughs> uh, like it's 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 good. Like I, I mentioned in this interview very quickly, but I I for years would have portrayed myself as an extrovert and. I don't. I, people still don't believe that I am an introvert when I tell them, but I'm, I'm very introvert, and I've become, in the last number of years, I've become very aware of needing to have time on my own, and it's just it's just mentally taxing to spend a lot of time with other people. Now, my wife won't mind me saying this; like that even applies to to her and, and my kids. Like, I, I need to stop and just be somewhere on my own for an for a time before i can re re-engage again so i think that's about the only difficulty that, that comes i'm not not complaining about it at all because i'm i'm aware of it so if i feel those feelings coming up i'm i'm privileged enough to live in a in a in a house that has enough rooms where i can sl- slip off to somewhere and actually get that bit of time how are you going um how am i going your kids are much younger than mine yeah so- they're in the I, honestly, um, th- there was. It depends on what day you talk to me. Like last Monday, I was kind of tearing my hair out, and it wasn't because of the kids. It was, I mean, they were bouncing off the walls, and I, for some reason, wasn't able to kind of cope with it very well. And I don't know. I don't know why that is. I, I still, after all these years, I still haven't figured out. At times, I haven't figured out those moments when I'm actually the problem. Um, and so, so you know, you have a kind of bad day. And then I had four great days in a row and I stopped worrying about them making a mess. <laughs> and, 
I just um, tried to get get them involved in things that I was doing and tried to make sure that I was doing all those very, very basic parenting things that you sort of forget when you're, I don't know, in the middle of it. Sometimes you just take a breath and think, oh, wait, these are just a couple of little creatures trying to figure shit out the same as you, except you're 52, so get your fucking act together, yeah. <laughs> You know, so uh, so all that. Yeah. So you see, you can see how the kind of self-flagellation starts to play into things as well. You know, which is not helpful. So anyway, it's been. Have you honestly, been tempted to uh, put some instru- instruments in their hands? Yeah, we had a tin whistle lesson today. Actually, yeah, that went that went really? quite well. Well, it lasted about eight and a half minutes because um, I was counting. I was like, oh, let's see how how we go. <laughs> and uh, it, it was yeah. eight and a half minutes before things kind of started degenerating into. Um, you know the, the just the sort of anarchic, anarchic, tooting and blowing as hard as you can. To see like how high this thing can actually go. <laughs> so and, and so I'm not making light of anything. That, yeah, well, I I I wouldn't make light of anything that that you know any individual has you know about experiencing this. But there have been a lot of moments for me where I've I've, I've thought this is really beautiful. I've noticed that. Both my children, who are uh, seven and seven and six, um, I, I really think that they are in loving having this time together themselves. The two of them, just not at school, not having to get out at quarter to nine in the morning, or in our case, usually one minute to nine in the morning. They they yeah. they seem to just be loving it and kind of blooming in a way. Um, so so there's a lot of uh, beautiful things that are coming out of it even though I know of course it's it's a terrible moment of suffering for so many people all over the world so mm. so I'm, yeah. yeah yeah with my kids it actually reminds me of a lot of what just what summers were like because the weather's not great <laughs> at the minute like it's it's okay like you could wear jeans and a t-shirt so it's kind of Irish summerish yeah and and it's kind of been a bit nippy, but just that kind of good, healthy boredom. Boredom. Mm-hmm. There's an instance of me putting a, a th in a in a word that has no has no th in it. But it, yeah, just kind of good, healthy boredom where they're just making stuff up and kind of going from like one backyard game to inside to drawing to like playing a bit of video games. But it's just kind of that that for me, what I remember of like month two and a half to three of your summer holidays where you're just going, I've done it all. I've been in every room. I've done, I've done everything. <laughs> Let's do it all again. Yeah. The, the only thing that's a bit of that is coming like, in. Sorry, go on. Well, no, it's just, that's coming in. It's, it's nice to, to watch. Cause I don't think kids are that bored anymore these days. I know that's like such a, an old person thing to say, like kids don't have any boredom, but they don't have as much. There's usually something on, or they're resting from doing something, and now they're just forced with like twelve hours of just fill in this time. And it's, it's good. I'm enjoying it. I, I don't. I don't like saying enjoying it because obviously there's so much bad things happening in the world. But the, the fact is, the macro versus the the micro. And the micro is enjoyable. There, there is something very peculiar about it too that. Um that this global thing that is so so massive like is also so intimate because the the separation that's imposed on us is is such an intimate experience 
And I, and I think that really comes through in today's interview. Um, we should say today's guest is uh, just a lovely, thoughtful musician by the name of Cameron Mather. Um, and I think that really comes through in the conversation we're about to hear, right? Absolutely, 100%. I think that's normally we wouldn't talk about one kind of topic for so long about this, but this, considering the, the interview we're going into, I think it's nice just to kind of pause and reflect on on where we're at. So with that, shall we begin? Let's do it. Enjoy. Cameron, um, what were those tunes? Uh, so the first one is quite a common tune. It's called Fred Finns. And the second one, I really, I, I don't know if there's a proper name for it. I just learned it as Brady's, I think, um, a while back. You don't hear it around too much, but I'm really into it at the moment. So, Where did you, where did you learn it? Uh, probably heard it first off um, John Williams, the box player um, of his album Steam. I think there's a version of it on there. Uh, but it's also played in Sydney a little bit. Um, Ivan Roberts is a fiddle player in Sydney, uh, would play it kind of semi-regularly. So I probably really got into it from him, I guess. You know, um, 
we're all recording this remotely at the minute. You're in Sydney. Uh, myself and Darren are in our respective uh, studios. I'm hunkered down underneath a duvet uh, over my head <laughs> to keep down the echoes in this room that I'm in. Um, Go and check out our Instagram page if you want to see a video of that. <laughs> I've just posted it. I'm looking very red-faced because it's very hot in here. So um, so before we came on air, we, we were chatting a bit, I mean, about... The, the current situation and um, the how social isolation is is affecting people. I mean, how are things going for you? Oh, look, it's I, I'm going to be straight up honest and say it's it's not going very well for me at all. Not at all. Really, very probably the most difficult period of my life, bar none. And I think it's, I'm glad that you asked because um, I think it's important for people to understand that the. Uh, the mental health repercussions of this are catastrophic, absolutely catastrophic. So for you, Cameron, is it a case of not seeing people? Is it work? Is it been in your house? It's 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 the not seeing people. I'm I'm a very, very social person. Um and for me to not be seeing anyone is I'm climbing the walls. Absolute climbing the walls. I've never felt like this before. Yeah, really. So like, how often do you go out and, and see people? No, I'm saying this from it. Like I for years pretended I was an extrovert and I, 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 it's only in the last couple of years where I've realized I'm absolutely not. So if, spending time on my own is something that I, I relish. So how often do you seek, how often are you out with other people? I generally say six nights a week till about 2am. Yeah, really? Yeah. I'd be out at least six nights a week. Yeah. And generally wouldn't be in bed before two or 3am most nights. Like, so when did you go into lockdown? Like, so what? What, what are we in now? Week one and a half weeks yeah, in, something like that. Yeah, something like that. And so, and how long did it take before you started to climb the walls? I was hysterical at the thought of it. Really? Yeah. So what do you do? What What do you do? You have yeah, yeah. What What are your managing techniques? Your coping? Who said there were any? <laughs> Right. I actually, to be honest, I'm glad we're doing this. I haven't even had the, haven't even had the volition to pick up the banjo for three weeks now. And is is that to do with just being on your own and, and yeah, the banjo yeah. being part of a, a social? I just experience? think I, I've lost uh, a lot of willpower to do things. To be honest, yeah. sorry to put a negative spin on it, but you, I mean, you asked the question, and it's such an important thing I think to talk about at the moment. Not very many people are talking about it. Hundred um, percent. We're all very focused on on one issue, and that is, of course, the virus. But I think that the um, the social fallout of this will be be with many people for the rest of their lives. Yeah, I I, I, I think there's absolutely no reason to feel um, that we shouldn't talk about it. Um, it's um, everybody is experiencing it in different in different ways, you know. Absolutely, yeah. And um, sometimes it's harder to articulate. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, I, I've always been um, I've always been someone who's quite. I don't believe there should be a stigma around mental health, and I think it's something that should be talked about very openly. And I think that's something that we've seen in in the last few years as well. And I think this is really going to bring that into the limelight because the damage that is being done to people is catastrophic um i'm very lucky from a work perspective so up until this year i've been i've been doing music and audio production pretty much full time and then retrained as a secondary school teacher which i'm doing now um and was lucky enough to get a full-time teaching job as well but i can tell you firsthand that the the welfare of my students is getting worse by the day 
academically and socially worse by the day. What are, you, what are you noticing with them socially? Uh, I'm noticing, well, I'm a music teacher, so for a start I notice our subject is very social-based. It's, it's very much about, um, you know, playing together in ensembles and playing together in group projects and all that sort of thing as well. Um, what I'm noticing is, well, one, we can't teach like that anymore. You can't do that online. So a huge part of the curriculum can't be met properly. Um, and secondly, you know, you, you're getting reports of students. Um, well, you've got less attendance, but you've also got reports of students kind of phoning up their teachers in tears because they're so lonely and isolated and they're suffering socially and academically. And I just think that's really sad. And I, I hear that from other people at, at lots of different schools as well. That's certainly not certainly not localized to where I'm working anyway. So, yeah, it's, I just think it's the fallout from that. At particularly at such an impressionable age as well, is going to be um, it's going to be tough for a very very long time. Cameron, hope it's not too much of a personal question, but do you do you live alone or do you share? No, I'm still someone? living with family at the moment. So, see, I'm, I'm yeah. At the minute, I'm I'm with the, with family. My parents got got stranded here, so it's actually it's the. It's really the opposite. I I don't want to make make it about me, but I'm, like it's the opposite. Like I'm, I've got people around me the whole time, and it's a uh, when you've got the opposite and that personality type of you're stuck in a position where you're you're getting too much contact. It it it, it wears you on the on the side. Like I uh I got to bed much earlier than I I know, normally do in the in these instances because I'm just I become really? exhausted from a day of 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 really? hanging out. Wow. Yeah. It's it's no no solace to your situation, but well, I just thought I'd ask because like when I when I think about that, I think about being on my own on my own. But if the social aspect is the thing you want, you're not going to get that from just your your family members. You need the yeah. No, you need more. You definitely need more. And I mean, well, we're sitting here on an Irish music podcast. I mean, let's face it, like across the world, this culture has been decimated. Absolutely, hundred percent decimated. No sessions or anything like that. You know. Do you think I, I I so I've got a natural kind of tendency to to look at whatever's happening online. Like professionally, I, I work in an interactive theatre, and so not an interactive theatre within an interactive um, profession. So I kind of keep abreast of what's happening, and like, there's a lot of innovation happening at the minute, which is really interesting. Like even what we're doing right now. Like so, you and I have chatted a few times about trying to do this exact catch up right but we would it was a presumption on my part anyway that we would only happen if we're doing it face to face where now because we're thrown into this we're actually getting to do it and there's um there's a couple of different things like i don't know we had uh jeremy from the session last week on and looking at the different threads coming through there like people are trying i'm not saying that the itch is being is being but is being scratched by any um stretch but people are trying to get together they're trying to get some music out there there's i don't know there are they're little little beacons of light but i don't think it's yeah i mean, look for me i'm, I'm just be straight up honest with you one thing that uh, i'm not a big phone user i'm not a big computer user people think i'm into technology because i do audio production but the reality is i'm actually not um and i think for me one of my greatest fears for the last few years as i've seen my friends kind of relying more and more on that technology is that that 
will form a replacement for human contact. And at the moment, it's kind of like all your fears coming true because it pretty much has. But for me, it's not a replacement, if you know what I mean. Like the, And if you want to talk music, like the, the feeling of actually sitting down next to somebody and playing a tune and that eye contact, the nod, the foot tapping, the um, the smile that you'll give to one another when you when you hit the same variation, that's never no computer can do that for you. That's a that's a very um, that's a very profound way of articulating the whole nature of you know sharing sharing playing you know, and particularly for Irish music. I mean, I'm not not to belittle any other kind of music. I do play other music now myself as well, um, but. Yeah, I think that that's such a part of the session culture, if you will, um, that we're missing out on now. And it, I mean, it is good to see, I suppose, people doing Zoom sessions and all that kind of thing. From an audio engineering perspective, I find it quite difficult because it, there is a delay. Um, but that aside, that 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 feeling of of the nod on a tune change, or you know, the wink across the table, or or whatever, you know, like. That's that's all gone if we're not in person. I suppose my fear is that if this kicks on long enough, people will will learn to adapt too much. Or do you think, I mean, like I've never played my instruments as much as I've played in the last two weeks. Like I'm, and I'm, I'm like I, I feel guilty saying this, but I, like I'm enjoying that I can take time. That's not there's no guilt associated with it i can just go in and get practice in and it's not even practicing i'm, I'm having a good time and i'm actually looking forward to when this ends because there will be an end that there's a possibility i'll, I'll be able to play oh yeah I'll be, I'll be playing definitely playing better that's good yeah i mean like if you're if you can find a way through it i suppose to, I, yeah music is probably a good way through it as much as anything as you said everybody handles these things very differently i think so um you run a few sessions up in Sydney, right? I co-run a few sessions, yeah, definitely. Have you had much contact with, with those session groups? Yeah, well, we we pulled the sessions probably about, oh, it'd be nearly three weeks ago now, because it, it all started to kick off around St. Patrick's Day, really. So I was doing a few gigs and one of our gigs got cancelled. Um, one of my audio jobs got cancelled as well. Um, but yeah, the sessions pretty much were pulled the next week. So... Obviously, we haven't we haven't had a chance to play together really since then. Um, some people went home. Uh, others have completely locked themselves away. It's very, yeah, it's it's very different. And the hope, I think, the fear that we should have a little bit with um, with the music anywhere is that when this is all over, do we still have a place to play? Will the mm-hmm. pubs survive? Will they will they have you know, the funds to put music back on, be it, be it sessions or be it gigs or whatever it is, will will entertainment still be a priority or will it have to take a, a back seat for a while while people get back on their feet? Yeah, I, you know, yeah, I don't, there's no answer to that, right? Like so much of, um, so much of uh, the sort of infrastructure that you take for granted, social infrastructure that you take for granted is completely uncertain now. Mm. I think it's another interesting thing is that if you look at any other crisis that happens, like let's take the bushfires, for example, you know, it's music and entertainment that comes together to raise the funds. You know, I went to the bushfire fight concert here in Sydney, uh, you know, a few weeks back and 75,000 people or something like that come together to, to raise funds for people affected by the bushfires. But now that we have this problem that's affecting literally every human on the planet, 
the main co- the main way of of raising funds and the main way of coming together to show support has been taken away from us and that is music and entertainment i think that's a really interesting thing because in any other situation there'd be concerts there'd be big rock concerts there'd be you know there'd be little fundraisers to do with music and dance and and theater and and now we're not allowed to have any of that to actually bring us together through a time of need do you think there's a chance there'll be more focus put on it though because I, I don't think anyone is denying the role that the arts play oh no but- i think i think there will be focus put on it at the end of it all i hope there is um i think it'll be a while personally before people will get the confidence to go back into a crowd of seventy five thousand people i think what's going to happen and look there's ups and downs to this but i think it's going to level the playing field to a large extent too i think I think at the end of this, we're going to see a whole new breed emerge that we probably wouldn't have known about. Otherwise, I think we'll see a lot of people not return through whether it's they, they, their, their normal uh, haunts are no longer there to be used. Uh, but I think there'll be a whole swathe of other musicians come out of the woodwork just because, well, because I think it's probably, I know it's not the, it's in stark contrast to what you're saying, Cameron, but I think there's probably a lot of people who are probably going to make the most or enjoy this time and make the most out of the situation that they've been put in and come out the back. And I think because of these innovations, maybe we're yet to see some really kind of special things come out the other side. I think the like, there's a create, creativity in the arts are always a thing that will excel once you put parameters around something and, and make it a, well, not make it a problem to solve, but, Really, I think that's when things get really creative, when there is an issue, mm, when people yeah. need to think outside the box. Oh, yeah, it's interesting. It'll be interesting to see the outcome as far as the arts go, definitely. Do you, do you, um, do you fancy taking another tune, Cam? Yeah, for sure. I tell you, we might do, a, um, we might do something a bit different. We might do a, uh, a barn dance. Uh, it's a little tune. I, I went to, um, to compete in the flower last year. Um, for the All Island Banjo competition. So that was exciting. Um, but one of the tunes, you had to play four tunes. One of the tunes I chose to play was this little barn dance called Peach Blossoms. So we might give that one a blast.
fantastic. Cam, can I ask you what what makes it a barn dance? I actually hadn't heard that. Uh, haven't heard that term before. Yeah, uh, I suppose barn dances wouldn't be um, wouldn't be the most common kind of tunes around. Um, you know, they're just one of one of many different kinds of tunes, I guess. Um, when you're doing when you're competing in the flower, so you've got to do uh, four different kinds of tunes from a prescribed list of tune types. So obviously. Most people are going to do a reel. Most people are going to do a jig. I did a hornpipe as well, and then the barn dance. So yeah, just you know, slightly different rhythm, slightly different feel to it, I suppose, than than the other tune types. What's the actual process for competing in the flower? Like, what does that look like? Uh, as in, from Australia? Yeah, just in general. Like, it's obviously not something that myself and Dom have had to think about. <laughs> It was a bit, yeah, I, I wondered the same as well. I, it's something I kind of always wanted to do. Um, obviously, if you're in Ireland, then you would go through your, your local cultist branch and then you would, you know, go up through all the different stages up to all Ireland. Um, being in Australia, we can't do that. So I knew that Jody Moran had done it before because the last time I'd been at the Flower not competing, I did see Jody compete. So I, I had a chat to him and, and as it turned out, the, the way it worked for me anyway is I got in touch with um, with Coltus in Ireland um, and let them know that I wanted to, to be a part of it. Um, and what they had me do was make a couple of videos of my plane and send them through. And just to make sure that, the, you know, that you're up to a, a decent enough standard, I suppose, for the competition. And once they gave that kind of the all clear, then then that was it. Um, so I was on the program as an as an international competitor then. So it was, it was very exciting and very nerve wracking as well. Actually, I would normally get nervous uh, playing at all, to be honest, but that was, that was pretty nerve wracking. So then how long out from the actual competition did you, did you know you were going? Um, I knew I'd been planning for it sort of for the whole year. Um, But yeah, I suppose it was sorted out maybe, from memory, June or July, of course, the flowers mid-August. So, um, yeah, I mean, not not too far before, I suppose. Yeah, it's quite tight, really. It is, yeah. I mean, I'd been planning to go to Ireland at that time anyway, so it was, I mean, that was certainly a driving factor for me to actually head over. But, um, yeah, definitely it was. I'd been planning the tunes a lot before that, though. I'd been practising and and planning the four tunes anyway, so... yeah, I was going to ask you what does a what does your training what does your training look like in uh, in a lead up to a competition like that? Because I, I actually I remember speaking with you a few months ago in Sydney, and you had mentioned how you you were a ferocious practicer when you were younger. So yeah, was it like um, that? So I, it was different. So for I, I probably haven't really done the uh, the practice regime I suppose that a lot of people do when they learn a musical instrument something that I didn't realize until I studied music at university and, and of course most people were were playing classical or jazz then um, well look I'll say this before I answer that question um, what hit me when I was at university was that most people were playing that they wanted to play an instrument a particular instrument let's say the clarinet or or the the violin or whatever and then they looked at what music you play on that. So they're, they're, um, I just found it really interesting because their drive to play music was based on the instrument, not the music itself. Whereas for me, it was quite the opposite. I wanted to play Irish traditional music and I chose my instrument based upon 
the music I wanted to play and the sound that I wanted to get, not the other way around. So I found that quite interesting. So my practice was was very much early on just driven by learning tunes and just absorbing. I, like I wasn't listening to any other kind of music for three or four years. It was literally trad all the time. And I would come home from school because I started playing in early high school. Um, I would come home from school and just play four or five hours a day and just be totally obsessed with it. That's not so much the case anymore. But for the flower, I think that practice kind of regime that changed a lot for the first time I was playing religiously to a metronome um, and working out variations and making sure they were repeatable every time. So taking out a lot of what you would naturally do in Irish traditional music, you know, in a session sort of situation um, that almost that improvised um that improvised kind of variation thing that, that happens in Irish music, taking that out and and kind of making it more scientific, I suppose, if you will. So it was definitely a different way um, of approaching it. And, and also your tune choice as well. You're not just choosing tunes that, that you like, but you're choosing tunes that actually demonstrate technical ability for your instrument. So you're looking at things like range, demonstrating that going from, from low notes to quite high notes, um, things that will let you demonstrate instrument specific ornamentations like on a banjo like triplet runs and all that kind of thing um so that was quite interesting to think about as well that you, your tune choice is is driven in a different direction but the the interesting thing is that of course you want it to be quite traditional for for the flower as well so a lot of the tunes that might demonstrate those things better would be probably too modern or or not quite traditional enough in terms of their style which I found quite interesting. So you have to be careful that it's striking a fine balance, if you know what I mean, in terms of tune choice and and what you're doing with the tune. And you're and you're really then refining what you're doing to a very very fine degree. Yeah, you, I think it was a very I think it's a great experience as a musician, and I'd, I'd kind of recommend it to anybody to have a go because it does change the way that you think about your playing. And you start magnifying all the little flaws. You start magnifying all the little flaws and see the little, the little timing issues, the little, um, the little times when the notes aren't coming out, aren't ringing quite as clearly as they should be. So you're really kind of honing in on that extra five percent of your playing and trying to correct that. So I think it's a very, very good, you know, tool to keep you focused as well and to push you on. Definitely, I found that my playing improved just from preparing for the flower. Did you have a, and, and a, I, a sorry, Dom? You go ahead. Go, go ahead, Darren. I was just like going to ask you: Did you have a a mentor locally during this time? During this time, what from a banjo perspective mm. would you say? Yeah, not really, because I mean, the, the banjo. Well, definitely in Sydney, the banjo is not not a common instrument, um, so there'd only be really. I don't want to miss out on anyone. There'd only be two or two or three of us really playing regularly here um and i wouldn't see the other kind of the other kind of main banjo player around i wouldn't see him very often sure he's a young family in that as well so he doesn't get out to sessions very often so you really um, had so, to you had to pick your own playing apart solo you really, yeah, really, you had, really to... had to knuckle down onto it and and think about what it is that you want out of your playing and i think the thing for me as well was i didn't i i've never wanted to be a carbon copy of any other banjo player if you know what I mean, you get a lot of people who have a favorite player, a favorite famous player or whatever. And, and, and this is of course the case for any instrument. 
and they really hone in on on copying that style. For me, it was never like that. There's there's banjo players that I listen to that I love. They're playing, and and you'll take little bits and pieces from from that and little bits of inspiration. But no, there was definitely a drive to kind of make up my own style as well. I think is is the best way to put it. Are you are you able to articulate why the banjo in particular? Like what? What drove me towards the banjo? Uh, yeah, kind of. Yeah, I mean, it's it's um, I mean, there's no reason why not. But it's also interesting to think about why that rather than anything else. You know what I mean? Mm, well, I'll tell you to be honest. Initially, it was a box. When I first started getting into it, I wanted to play the box. Um, I was actually was mad about the box, but getting a box in Australia was actually quite difficult and very expensive, prohibitively expensive. So, um kind of nothing nothing happened there for a while and then my godfather actually matt tone is his name he used to play in a band called the irish drovers here in sydney um when my parents before i was born used to go and see the irish drovers a couple of times a week so i'd kind of you know grown up with the banjo he was he was a banjo player with them so i'd kind of grown up with the banjo as a a thing in my life and and i just i don't know what happened one day i was just kind of really caught by the sound of it um decided that that was actually the direction i wanted to pursue with the music i think what it is is it's quite unique um it's lower than pretty much it's an octave lower than pretty much all the other instruments that are played in irish music um and it's also one of the few instruments that is staccato as opposed to legato in that it can't hold a long note so it kind of i suppose it provides a really good rhythm and growl to the music it sits below everything else and it kind of chugs along gives the music a bit more of a growl um and it's you know it doesn't sound like anything else you know it doesn't sound like anything else it's quite unique so i quite like that about it you know that that um i hadn't thought about that sort of percussive non-legato aspect of it before but it does give you a a really direct hold on the direction of the melody (laughs) It does, and it just gives it a bit more of, um, yeah, it just, it just stabilizes the rhythm quite well, I think. And it's something I notice. I, I play in two Kaylee bands as well, and it's something I notice that the dancers seem to appreciate the banjo a fair amount as well because it does give that solid rhythm to it as well, something to kind of latch onto, which, I don't know, I just find that's quite, as I said, it's quite unique as an instrument in the tradition, so I think... That's probably something that drove me towards it a lot as well. And when you were um, analyzing your style before going to the flat, were there surprises there for you? And what you were like, were you doing some recording and then listening back and picking things yeah. apart that way? Yeah, sort of. Uh, the big thing for me was the metronome. The metronome really helped a lot. And it's something, look, to be honest, it's something I should still do. And it's something I'd recommend anyone do, actually, because, you know, you, you can play. <laughs> it doesn't I, lie, I it's always at a time. That's that's the trick, isn't it? No, but it was the little timing issues, little things that you know that you'd normally get away with, but you're trying to just go that extra mile, and I think that really brings it out a bit. I think timing and rhythm in this music is such a key thing, and particularly on a banjo, because as we've just said, it's quite percussive. So getting that rhythm spot on is very important, and I think the metronome practice really helps with that. Something I wish I'd done earlier, to right. be honest. And and then so the, so then you go to the flyer, right, mm. and you know, what's it like when you're there and you're having to, you've got all this refinement 
that you've gone through and all this process and then I mean it's it's like I don't know it's like a, an elite sports person coming to the <laughs> yeah it's um it's a bit overwhelming as I said before I've never really like I do a lot of gigs and you know I'm a singer as well and I never really have gotten really nervous about being on stage or about performance before um which I'm very lucky from that perspective but the flower is different it's something else because, well, I'll tell you, my, my flower morning before the competition was me sitting in a room for about three hours just playing the same four tunes over and over and over, just really activating that muscle memory. Um, but then there's a certain feeling when you go up, when you're walking up, you get, your name gets called up and you're, you're going onto the stage. And as you probably kind of gathered from from our conversation before i'm quite a uh, quite an anxious sort of person naturally anyway um and you kind of start for me anyway i start envisioning all the things that could go wrong strings breaking um dropping the plectrum the plectrum turning around the wrong way things like that so you start it was kind of a wave of oh my god what if this happens or what if that happens um but it didn't but what i did find i mean a, a big thing with any instrument i think is tension that you you, you want to be as relaxed as possible. Um, definitely for the banjo, for clean triplets and that, you want to be as relaxed as possible. That's very hard in that situation. So I did find I tensed up more than I, I normally would. Um, and yeah, it's nerve wracking. There's no other way to put it. It's a nerve wracking experience, but it's something I do again. And I think the more that you do that sort of thing, the better, the more used to it you get. Mm. And, and how did it go? I think it went well. I mean, I didn't place. Um, I didn't expect to place. I just wanted the experience. Um, I did get the judges' comments and scored quite high. Um, so yeah, that's that's good. There were no there were no major stuff ups. That's all you can ask, really. And an exceptional experience, and just kind of one of those bucket list things kind of ticked off as well. But yes, I I'd do it again. No bother. I'd do it again. That's really fun. That's a kind of lovely. Um, I don't know. It's it's a lovely thing to think about. You know, that's a real achievement to have this well, actually, thing you've always wanted to do and to put your mind to it and to see it th and to stick with it through those months and months and months and months right I, I was a sucker for punishment as well because i actually competed in two competitions so so i did the banjo but i also i played the bazooki as well um so i also did accompaniment playing bazooki as well so i was a, a bit of a sucker for punishment this year at uh, that, that time but yeah, definitely worth. I figure if you're going to go from Australia, if you're going to go all that way, you may as well make a go of it. Aye. <laughs> you know? Who who were you playing with? Uh, what for the accompaniment? Yeah. Um. So I played with Elaine Riley. She's a lovely banjo player as well. Um. Elaine won last time I went to the flower for the banjo competition, and then I met her when she came over here to visit her sister, and we had a good few tunes together and got on quite well. So. Uh, she's a really, really good, steady banjo player, and I thought that's pretty much exactly what we need. She knows, she knows the flower well. She's done it herself. Um, so I got in touch with her and said, "Look, thinking of coming over to play the bazooki. Um, how would you feel about this?" And she jumped on board. So that was great. Yeah, it was yeah, really good. But of course, we didn't get much of a chance to practice. I had commitments. I was in my last year of university studying teaching, so I had performance commitments here up until the Wednesday before the flower. So I did my final performance for uni for that semester, went 
and got on the plane at at I think three a.m. or four a.m. or whatever it is. Got to Ireland on Thursday night. Had ordered a new bazooki, which had been delivered from Greece to Ireland. So what? I'd never played it. Had had been delivered to my friend's house in Ireland. Picked it up that night and spent that night kind of just getting getting used to the feel of it, and then headed to the flower the next day, the Friday morning. So it was very and and I hadn't seen Elaine for you know months before that, and we hadn't talked about this at all. So it was a case of meeting up that Friday afternoon and and having a good run through the tunes. She'd sent me recordings of her playing the tunes that I've been playing along with anyway, but just to, again that person to person kind of connection, which is so important. Um, we didn't have a lot of time to practice, so it was all very it was all very rushed, really, to to make sure I was there on time. But um, luckily, there were no flight delays or anything. So, so well, I'll just ask you out. one more thing about this because I'm I'm curious about the the timing of um, getting a new bazooki. That seems like for somebody <laughs> that seems like piling on an extra layer of pressure. You know? Yeah. Look, I mean, what it was, I. I don't know if you ever met Rory McGorman. Rory's a wonderful fiddle player and bazooki player who moved to Australia in 2009 uh, to teach at the Gaelic Club here in Sydney. Um, he's Catherine McAvoy's son, Catherine McAvoy, of course, a great flute player. Um, but I was only, obviously, I was a fair bit younger then. I was only just getting into bazooki, and I had your standard Irish bazooki, you know, a flat back bazooki. But uh, Rory came over to Australia and he had with him a, um, a Greek bazooki six-string Greek bazooki, the same as Alec Finn from Dedanon. And he'd very much modelled his style on Alec Finn's playing. And, of course, I'd heard Alec play on recordings before and I'd heard, you know, plenty of Dedanon records and all that, but I'd never really thought about it that much. But there was just something about seeing that live and the way that that bazooki style uh, weaves in with the music um, that just that really defined how I wanted to play as well. So I, I certainly took after that style. So, but Greek bazookis in Australia are not the easiest thing to get. So I actually found one on eBay for $150, eight string Greek bazooki, which I modified myself and made a new nut, a new bridge, um, took re- uh, took the measurements from Rory's bazooki and, and turned it into a six string. And that did me well for about 10 years. But I thought, you know what, if you're going to, if you're going to do this seriously, if you're going to do it at the flower, you got to have a real six-string bazooki. And I thought, well, you know what? I'm playing it a fair bit now. So it was the time to upgrade. Um, and, yeah, it just worked out really well. I, I contacted – I'd played Rory's bazooki years ago, and I knew that I really – I liked the feel of it. So I knew the guy that made his, so I contacted him, and he had one ready to go. Um, so I was fairly confident anyway that it would be, you know, a comfortable instrument for me. But it was a bit of a gamble. It was a bit of a gamble making sure it got there on time yeah. as well, because I didn't fly with my bazooki. So, yeah. Um, do you do you fancy taking another tune? I'm interested as well that you mentioned. Do you sing? Do you want to sing tonight? Or, uh, well, look, well, I think we stick with the tunes tonight. Is probably yeah, probably for the best. Um, I just say with the singing, I've I've actually had a few issues with my voice for the last year. Um, so I um. Have had issues with what's called laryngopharyngeal reflux, which is basically a reflux that burns your vocal cords. And it's literally been about the last four weeks that I've gotten my voice back to normal. With I've seen a very, very good speech pathologist now, and and have done plenty of anti-reflux medications and and training. And and you know you you keep plugging away at it, but my voice is pretty much back to normal now, which is which is a really refreshing 
kind of thing because it's it was about a year without being able to sing properly. That sounds not unlike the difficulty that you face and that we all face with the social distancing. I mean, I, I can imagine like not being able to sing is it's it's like I don't know how to describe it. It's it's losing something major about how you express yourself, right? Yeah, I I did find that. I mean, for me, what it was, what I first noticed was a loss of falsetto. So, as many many people listening to this won't know, but um, aside from Irish traditional music, I also you know, my guilty pleasure is actually like normal pop music and also like um, emo and pop punk music as well. So a lot of a lot of popular music, male popular music sits in that falsetto vocal range. And what happened for me was I just found that I used to be able to do that quite well. And then one day it just kind of went away. And I thought, geez, that's a bit weird. And gave it a rest for a few weeks thinking it had come back and it never did. Um, so then after months of trying different medications and different things that weren't working. I finally ended up, um, I said, you know what, I'm going to go to a speech pathologist because I knew this particular uh, one had worked with this sort of issue before and she's really got me right back on track and probably singing at the moment, I think better than I have for a very long time and gotten that, that pitch range back again. So it was hard because for, for Irish music, my connection is obviously playing the tunes, but for the other kinds of music, you know, I don't, I don't really play it that much. I'd sing it. So I had lost that connection with, with that kind of music, which was a bit annoying. But it's good to have it back again now, definitely. And, and what, were you, what were you singing then? What, what were, the, were you talking about that music? I mean, Oh, we're talking about, you know, bands like Maroon 5 or Coldplay or even, um, you know, if you were to get to some of the rockier stuff, even if you look at things like Panic at the Disco or um, Mariana's Trench, a wonderful band from Canada. Um, of course, this has nothing to do with Irish music at all, but like, Mariana Strange is some of the um, the most amazing vocal work I've ever heard in terms of, of pitch range. Josh Ramsey, their lead singer, is just just phenomenal falsetto range. And, and I was really building up quite strong in into that area, just as personal interest, I suppose, as much as anything else. Um, but so it's good to be able to do that again. It's you know, it's a good refreshing sort of thing. As a musician, you don't wanna you don't wanna lose any kind of connection with music, I suppose. No, no, I, I guess not. I, I, um, well, we'll talk a bit more about that after this tune because I, I want to talk a bit more about other kinds of music. That seems, um, I, I, I love the 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 idea that. Um, uh, well, I don't know how to put it. There's a there's a Chris Christopherson little quote about you know something like um, if it sounds country, it's country. That's fair. That's and, fair. You know, it seems like a kind of universal statement. So anyway, what, what do you fancy playing? We'll do a couple of jigs now. Right. Um, let's have a think. We might do uh, two tunes that I got from the playing of Kevin Crawford. Um, the first one is called The First Pint, and the second one is called The Flying Wheelchair. I'll give them a blast. Thank you. 
Beautiful. Thank you. Cheers. I love a jig. A nice couple of tunes, those ones. That first pint, you don't hear that one around too often as well, but it's, it's a really lovely tune. Yeah, yeah. Awesome, Cameron. So I think we wouldn't be doing you a service if I didn't ask you about how you actually found this music and how you kind of grew to love it. So what what's your origin story within all this? Where did it all come from? Yeah, well, I mean, to be honest, I, I kind of grew up listening to it. So my parents both listened to Irish music, probably more of the ballads, probably the songs more than anything. Um, as I said before, they used to go and see the Irish drovers um, a lot. So, are they, they, so I kind of, are they from? Are they originally from Ireland? They from Australia? No, no, no. They're, they're both born here. You know, Irish heritage. They got a long way back, but um, now both born here, and just love the music. So it was always kind of in the house, I suppose. And when I was when I was a kid, like we're talking pre-primary school here, I'd have been fairly into it then because that's you know that's what you were exposed to. And then once I hit primary school I kind of I got into all the cool music at the school discos you know the Venga Boys and Aqua and all that kind oh, yeah. of stuff S Club 7 you know that's yeah, it's still very good music to be honest I'm not ashamed to admit I'm with you. Um, but yeah I suppose it was around the end of primary school to early high school I started to really kind of find Irish music again again probably the ballads more first um, and then gradually heading into traditional music, definitely by, I'd say, about year eight. So what was that for me, 2007? Definitely by then, that's when I started playing the, the banjo and I really got deeply into the traditional music then. When you're talking about ballads, what are, what are, you, what are you thinking of? We're thinking things like Christy Moore, um, you know, the Dubliners, I suppose, any of you, your typical Irish, you know, ballads that are, of course, a very important part of the tradition as well, but very different. I'm always interested in like people that learn over here. So, you, like you just mentioned earlier on, uh, there's maybe only a handful of banjo players in, in Sydney. So, how? What was your approach? Who did you have to? Who did you seek out to 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 teach you? Um, I only I only ever had about two or three lessons, to be honest. So, pretty much pretty much taught yeah, myself. Right. Um, I. Yeah, there's a lot. Look, there's a lot of resources out there these days. I suppose there's you know there's tablature online and there's a lot and lot of stuff on YouTube. But I just literally for me it was coming home from school, get the banjo out, put a record on and play along with it and just kind of figure it out as you go. I think that was that was the main approach for me. I did have a few lessons from Mick O'Connor, not London Mick O'Connor, Sydney Mick O'Connor, who was a lovely banjo player and and fiddle player as well um but he moved to queensland so i only got to only got to have a few kind of lessons with him but then i decided well i i really wanted to do it i wasn't going to stop so kind of took matters into my own hands a bit there and was this happening sort of simultaneously with your discovering that you had an aptitude with music generally then um look i think for me Music has always been a massive, massive part of my life in some respect. Like it's even even now, even if you took playing out of the equation, I think it's one of the most important parts socially in life as well. I can't imagine going out with friends and, and not, you know, having music on in the car or not, you know, like one of my other favorite activities to do would be like karaoke or something. So a lot of things for me have always resolved around, uh, sorry, revolved around music. Um, but 
I think it was around that sort of time that I started to get the itch for playing as well. So I was playing guitar a little bit first. We had guitars in the house, so that just made sense. But it wasn't long before I was like, yeah, the, the real focus for me, I really wanted to focus on the banjo. And I still, of course, I play guitar as well, and I'm glad that I learned both. Um, but yeah, definitely, if, if I had to pick one, it would be the banjo. And was there, was there much happening? So then when you were kind of in in your mid-teens, like, sorry, late teens, early 20s, well, early, early teens, really, to be honest, when I started. So I started playing a banjo at 13. So were you going to sessions or like event? Like, I was, yeah. yeah. It was it was a good time. Look, 2009 and 10 for me, they'd still stick out as two of the best years of my life, to be honest. And that was, the music was great. We had, we had Dirty Nellies on a Sunday afternoon. And I was lucky that I fell into kind of co-running that. And I was running that with Ivan Roberts, phenomenal fiddle player. And Elaine Jeffries, brilliant flute player, and also Sam Walters, um, who is another amazing fiddle player. Who's he's moved to France now. Um, so and and myself. So it was the four of us at the time in two thousand and nine and ten that were kind of running that session. And it was one of those sessions where you know some sessions are kind of hit and miss. You'll have a really good week, and other weeks will be a bit quiet and or whatever. But Dirty Nellie's was never like that, and the pub was supportive and. Just a phenomenal place. There's some of my happiest memories there. But, of course, I was underage at the time, so I had my parents coming with me, driving me everywhere back in, then, uh, back in the day then. And, and it was lucky that they loved the music as well, so they were always there and, and very supportive of it. Um, and then, of course, we had other sessions happening at the Gaelic Club, and you had the, the back in the day, back in 2008, we had Kelly's on King on a Tuesday night, um, which, of course, had people like, you know, Bridie Burke and, and Corey Clark and, and Ben Stevenson, you know, just just great people to be around. But I think as well for me, one of the well, the first person I ever actually got a chance to sit in a session with was with the brilliant Jim, uh, Jimmy Malarkey, who is an amazing box player from originally from Sligo, but living north of Sydney now. And Jimmy would still be one of my favourite people to play with. He's just an absolute gentleman absolutely brilliant musician and extremely supportive and has like what a repertoire of tunes to set you up like you, you really can't go wrong with playing with Jimmy and just a general generally amazing guy as a young musician coming up I don't know where I would have been, where I would have been without Jimmy to be honest he was such a great entry to the scene for me and I still still one of my favorite people to play with did you still play around a bit absolutely yeah we play in a band together now my first my first live traditional music experience was at the Harp Hotel. Um, we went to a Cayley there and Jimmy's band were playing and I met them that night. Embarrassingly played the spoons in the session. It's a wonder I was ever welcome back. <laughs> um, I could keep time. I could keep time in fairness, but it's a wonder I was ever welcome back. But Jimmy and, and John Joe Noonan as well and all that crew, Ivan was there. They all kind of took me under their wing, which was brilliant. And, you know, you're kind of jumping in the deep end and you had to keep up. And I think for me, that works really well. And yes, so now I play in that band with Jimmy. I play in his Kelly band now. You seem to be fairly lucky in, in Sydney. It seems to, um, well, it still has the, it seems like a never ending um, conveyor belt of, of working holiday um, people coming over from Arnold. Obviously that's stopped at the moment. Well, but it, it's it's funny. It's a funny scene because, like I say, nine and ten was phenomenal, and we had some 
amazing musicians and just amazing people here and it was it was brilliant but it kind of around that 2011 a lot of people went home dirty nelly's oh, it wasn't quite 2011 i think that kicked on a bit longer but it that pub got sold and changed hands and it's not an irish pub anymore so it's it's totally changed um so that session cancelled um and there was a lot of a lot of people went home so it really it died for a while it really did die we had maybe one session a week or one session a fortnight um so it did it fell apart there for a good few years but then in the last kind of five or six years it's kind of picked back up again really strong and it's probably up until everything that's happened now it was probably at its strongest that it's been for a long time with a lot of people kind of coming over but also settling you know you've got people like Ashling Vaughan who's who's here for a while now and um you know you've got a good few people here that play and, and that play really well and that keep the scene going so yeah it's a funny scene it did fall apart I think it goes in waves was there was there um when you're coming up as a as a young player I mean if I think about my own experience when I was coming up uh, sorry, I'm not comparing myself to you as a player, but just when I was playing in our town, you know, there was an, an older set of players who played in a very, what I've considered a pretty staid sort of style that had, had very little appeal to me at the time. Was that was that ever the, the case in Sydney as well? Was was there like an older cohort of people who would have been, who would have been there oh, for a long time before you? Absolutely. Well, I mean, you know, Jimmy that I'd, I mentioned before, Jimmy's been, playing I think he's been here for well over 20 years maybe even 30 I'm not sure so he's been playing here for a long time it's definitely more in a stricter traditional style if you want to put it that way compared to say the um the Kelly's on King session that I was talking about that we used to have on the Tuesdays which would be a bit more of a modern style and you had probably a younger set of players you know Ben Stevenson and, and all that crew so it was two distinctly different styles but also distinctly different repertoires um, and I like both, but I, I never had any kind of aversion to the really traditional style. I actually like the, I, I really do like the hardcore traditional music, um, as well as the more modern stuff. So yeah, it was never really an issue for me. I was just glad to be around any of it and be kind of exposed to all of it and, and taking influences left, right and center, I suppose, and getting tunes left, right and center from different people and, um, yeah, so it was quite diverse, which was good. Yeah, I think that's very good for a musician coming up. And and, and then you know when you started, um, I presume training to be an audio engineer. Yeah, so I, I studied audio production. Well, I'd I'd always had an interest in audio technology, from again from very very early age. Um, my first kind of. Uh, encounter with a public address system with a PA system would have been while I was at, at primary school as school captain one of our jobs was to was to ring the bell and we used to play music before the bell and it just boggled my mind this that this system could sit in the office and get you know music and get and get announcements to 50 classrooms you know it just boggled my mind that I don't know why um, but I'd always had this interest in audio technology and it kind of spiraled from there so while I was at school, I at, at high school, I ran the sound and lighting group. Um, so we did lots of productions. We did musicals. We did performance events, all that kind of thing. Then went on to do, as part of my HSC, um, the TVET course for entertainment industry, which gives you a lot of hands-on sound lighting and vision experience 
Um, and then I went on to study a degree in audio production at SAE after that. Right, right. And, and and what what sort of prompted you to move then from from that towards teaching? If you don't mind me asking, like. Well, we talked about social interaction and my desire for social interaction before. That's really what prompted me. So I find audio production is a lot of working alone um, and working kind of weekends and nights away from your friends. You're just that, that guy dressed in black in the background. Yeah. And <laughs> I just craved that social interaction so much that I wanted to be in a job where I was around people. I was part of a team. I was talking to people, be it other teachers, be it students, whatever. I was around people and making a difference every day. And I never come home from a day teaching where I don't feel like I've, you know, maybe if you've, if you've had one student that looks like the light bulbs come on for them on one concept or one subject or whatever, where you feel like you've had a good day. And at the end of the day, you come home feeling like you've worked with people and you're helping people. I wasn't getting that level of satisfaction of audio. I still love audio technology. I still love working with audio. It still, you know, amazes me. But I think from a, a personal perspective, I just needed something more. Plus you get to wear colorful and, t-shirts, I suppose. That's a, there's a bonus. Well, you know, that's, that is a bonus as well. Um, but the other thing I find too is, I mean, the regularity, of course, is great that you're not chasing invoices so much anymore. Like you've, you've got your regular pay, which is great. Um, I'm definitely not a career person. I've never been a career person. Definitely my entire, my life goals are based around connection to people. So I would, I would never have been suited for a corporate environment or anything like that. Um, I'm definitely... You know, a job is something you have to, to have you have to have to survive and it's something that you should of course do your best at and something that should hopefully bring you some joy, but at the end of the day it has to be people that come first and I think this strikes a fine balance. The other thing with teaching high school music is that it means that I can still pursue what I'm interested in. I can still I'm still doing music all day, every day, but I have stability and I Look, for me as well, you know, we talk about when I started playing music. One of the things, my first three guitar chords I learnt on a rainy sports day afternoon when we all got herded into the music room and the music teacher had to look after us and she sat up the front with the guitar and said, well, I'm going to teach you three chords. And I just went home and I just couldn't put it down. Yeah. <laughs> so I figure, like, what an effect that's had on my life. Like, most of my life since then has been revolved around playing music. And if you can do that for one student, if you can change their life that much, well, I think you've done a good job, frankly. Carmen, I reckon there's, a, there's my... a high chance that that rainy day that you experienced that day, that's, that's happening for millions of kids all across the world right now. It's, yeah, it's happening with my kids. Like, yeah. Whether they like it or it's, not. It's an, it's an amazing thing to think that... Um, you know, and I consider that a lot of my friends, a lot of my experiences here overseas, it's all kind of revolved around music. And you think, well, if you hadn't had that kind of, that light bulb moment, if you will, like I said, would that have happened? Mm. You know, would that have happened? And and I think that was a big driving thing for me in teaching as well, is that I wanted to be the one that might facilitate that light bulb moment for kids, that, that make kids go, yeah, okay, I really get something out of playing guitar or piano or whatever. You know, I've never really thought about it before, but I really get something out of it. And that's an amazing thing to do, I think. it's You get a lot of reward out of it. Well, Cam, 
I think that's a beautiful uh, that's a beautiful sentiment, really. <laughs> um, Good. Given the moment that we're all in, you know. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Um, should we have uh, one more tune? We can do another tune. Yeah, definitely. Darren, do you um, have anything else you want to ask before we? Just uh, quickly, look, there is there is light at the end of the tunnel, and we will get there. And when we get there, Cam, where would where would I send anyone if they were going to be in Sydney to to hear, hear, hear some music? Well, I mean, at the moment, it's hard to say. Hopefully, hopefully, we get back to the same venues that we were in. But um, definitely, Thursday nights at Norton's Irish Pub in Leichhardt would be a good place to start. There's also the regular Friday night sessions now happening at the Gaelic Club. And look, the Gaelic Club in Sydney has just seen in in the last year has seen such a resurgence in terms of sessions and events also a place to learn irish music to learn irish language it's it's been amazing to see the transformation that's happened in that venue over the last 12 months i have to say as in as in outside of looking in that uh i don't know what involvement you might have had but from my perspective looking in that place is bloody exciting it is it is it's a good way to put it watching it from here i'm like I'd love to be involved. Like if I could find a way to teleport, on like even just even just there. Um, sorry, should I? I do, 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 are you involved with that at all? Uh, look, I'm not on the committee or anything like that. But I, I mean, I know the people who are kind of heading it up, and I've known them for years, and I think it's in very good hands. And I just just their their tone of voice and their marketing and the way they present themselves, everything about it is exciting. And the focus, the focus on the culture and the focus on the music is just phenomenal to see and look if you get the chance if you're in sydney come to a session come to a gig support the place and it's doing really good things for irish culture in sydney and i think it's it's very important we all get behind it and where like social wise is there like would people be best following you would they be best following like sydney kelders the gala club well yeah you probably this i'm i'm not on the board for cultists at the moment i was but just other things you know, commitments getting away, but um, there's definitely Sydney Colters. You could follow that, and also the Gaelic Club would be a good place. I actually run another Facebook page now. As I said before, I'm not a big one for the technology. I'm not a big one for social media at all. I really only use it to communicate individually. It's kind of replaced SMS for me, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Uh, so I'm not very much on Facebook or anything, but I do have a Facebook page called Irish Traditional Music in Sydney. Um, you're more than welcome to like that or join the group. I have it as a page and a group, I think. I don't really post very much, but if you're coming up, send us a message and I will reply and let you know anything that's on and if there's any events, if there's any concerts or sessions or anything. We try and keep people as, as much in the loop as possible. Fantastic. A lot. Well, myself and Don will definitely be getting up there when all this is uh, is done. So uh, we look forward to catching up with you then. That sounds face good. Face to face. Sounds good. Thanks so much for your time tonight, mate. Not a bother. Do you want another tune there? Yes, please. All right. We might do another set of reels to uh, to see it out, I think. Probably the best. Ready?
thanks so much for your time, Cameron. Uh, look, we appreciate the time, but look, to be honest, we really appreciate your honesty throughout uh, that piece too. I think at the very top, you spoke a, a fair deal about mental health and it's it's such an important thing to address at the minute because you're right, the, the, the big story is stay home, save lives. The, 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 there are huge um, mental health ramifications off, off the back of this. And I think hearing and knowing that other people are going through it as well is, uh, is, is powerful stuff. Like the first weeks of this, when I was kind of pretty stressed, uh, I had my folks here and I was watching what was happening. And I think I was just uber aware because they were here and I was conscious of them getting on a flight back to Ireland and trying to help them get back there. Like my anxiety was, was up quite a lot. It's gone away since I found out that they're definitely staying like I'm much calmer now, but during that week, so I, I haven't drank alcohol in about three years and it was the first time in that period that I kind of really felt a, a pang for, for booze, which is, is not great. When you say you felt a pang, like what, what do you mean? Like you, is it a physical? Yeah. Mental, but like much more mental than it is physical, but it's a, it's more of the addiction part of your being. So that's a mental and physical thing. And when that fires, it's just like a sensation that you, that I feel where I'm just kind of, oh, I just love to have a beer and make this all go nice and warm and fuzzy and not really, not not to be obliterated, but just like a beer. Well, I, I can't have a beer. So it's like, ah, but I, I was, I was being confronted with that thought. And I think not, not that I would have came anywhere near, but just trying to be as as Cameron says, like acknowledge my um, my mental health at at points and see things when they they rise up and then kind of inspect them and trying to find out why that's there. I was very aware that I could see the trigger was this stress, and then alcohol would have been a self medication for me for like for stress. One of probably lots of things. Plus, I just I was an alcohol so. That's just part of the, just what I did, but the um, to quell stress with with booze is is always such a, an easy kind of thing to do for yourself. It's it's a, it's a fantastic excuse. Oh, I just need a drink. So that yeah, I could feel that. Anyway, the reason the only reason I mention it is I'm acknowledging it, and I think I want to kind of help Cameron with that honesty. Like, yes, we need to be looking after each other from a a health perspective, but also from a mental health perspective at the minute. And I think if that's by calling on a friend or, or just checking in to see how someone's doing, Dom, you like talking about it. You like talking to, to people about how they manage, right? Well, yeah, honestly, for, um, so for you, that, um, addictive impulse that you talked about there, for me, uh, I have this, visceral need to talk to somebody else and if I don't get to talk to somebody else then I start to get to a place where funnily enough I was last night which was uh, a a brief but very intense storm (laughs) Um, and that's uh, that's not great so 
so yeah, I mean, for me as well personally, I, I don't always know what's going on. I don't know what's causing what, but clearly, the time that we're in, and just for us, in a really privileged position, you know, we're feeling it. So, um, who knows what other people must uh, be experiencing? How's your other um, the the other podcast going? Is that helping, or like, have we have you ever explained that to what what that is on the pilgrims here? No, I haven't. So, so the other podcast is just um, I, I had this idea or this desire to talk to people who I know who are living in different parts of the world who are experiencing roughly the same thing as we are, albeit in, in some sort of staggered sense time-wise. Like everyone's at a different point in this cycle, and it kind of goes to the the thing that I spoke about earlier about the intimacy of this experience, even as it's this global phenomenon, it, it affects us down to... This, the most personal level of um, interaction with other human beings in, in our most immediate space. So, so I wanted to talk to other people, and it has been really helpful. And it um, it has given me just a sense of purpose and a sense of the value of doing something, however seemingly minuscule it might be, in the face of what's going on. Um, it's my thing and I'm doing it and um, I'm determined not to let it slip away you know so so that's that's what I've been doing and it's it's been so what's it called it's been fun because I've been connecting with people so so yeah it's it's called a social distance podcast now there's (laughs) there's actually two social distance podcasts now there's there's one that is from uh, Slate magazine in the US Um, it's not that one so if you look for the social distance podcast and you put my name in Dominic Black you'll find it and um, we have I have five interviews up there at the minute, and um, another four coming up in the next kind of week and a half. So I'm sort of squeezing them in as, as wherever I can. And part of what I was wanting to do as well was that I was very aware that I, um, that I would a year from now really regret not speaking to people if I have this urge. That if I don't do it, I'll really regret in a year's time. I'll be thinking, why didn't I, why didn't I do that? And so, so I really wanted to do it, and I had to sort of, and still have to sort of wrestle with the voice in my head that is trying to talk me out of it at times, talk me out of the the effort. Um, but I, I, it's yeah. So anyway, this is probably a little bit too much like a counselling session. But that's that's what I'm at. It's very funny. My boys are still doing it. So it was, this is my my mum's idea. One of the nice things about having them here is early on in the piece, I think it was like, it was at least a week before the schools closed here. And she had an idea where she said to the kids, why don't you write in your, she got them each a copy book and said, here's a book for you. This is going to be your um, your Corona diary. And they've been writing in this diary every day. Well, not every day, maybe every second day. But obviously there's a lot happened in that time. Like, globally locally within their own household with my uh, with their nana and granddad and it, it, the whole idea was just that they'd have something to remember when they're when they're hopefully my age and they can turn around and read what it was like so it's it's great you're yeah. grabbing that because yeah everyone's as we say many times during that interview we're all going through this thing at the same time be it staggered it's the same thing yeah yeah so um, with that, I guess we should say a huge thank you again to 
Cameron Mather. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. And look, uh, thanks again to our patrons who continue to uh, make this podcast possible every week. Um, Look, the podcast is still free to listen to. It Unfortunately, it isn't free to make, so we will always need new patrons. So if you are in a position to support us, please, please do over at patreon.com forward slash Baloney Pilgrims. So that's it. I think we're um, we're all done for the day. Thanks for listening, and I guess we'll be back next week. Yeah, look after yourselves. See you next week. Good luck. Hi, my name is Rosa. I'm gonna eat um an apple. Please get give Dominic. And Darwin five stars. Thank you.